not surprisingly, a lot of the message was preached during the worship time. That is always nice. There are notes for this morning if you'd like them. Looks like Abigail's got them. And if you have them, I want you to actually just flip right to the very back, page four of the notes. I'll read it if you don't have them in your hand yet. You don't have to look at it, but at the very last part, the Lord gave me a, a, just a quick word, um, and this message is really to help prepare for this. The pressure of 2022, 2023, sorry, 2023, will press on the flesh. I feel like the pressure of 2022 pressed on my flesh too, but the pressure of 2023 will press on the flesh. Satan wants a witness of impatience and pushing to come out of the church to corrupt its witness. Like the witness he's been leading the church to have for years of patience and faith. The Bible's clear, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was highlighting it this morning, that in the last days, tribulation would come, offense Hatred, betrayal, love would grow cold, and we need endurance. So this is an endurance word. Okay, Satan wants a witness of impatience and pushing to come out of the church to corrupt its witness. God wants to show Israel something to be jealous of in the area of patience and faith. So he really, he's, he's talking to me a lot personally. Some of you may or may not know. Um, I think pretty much most of the people we've had a chance to tell personally, but Sam and I are getting ready to move um, part-time to Israel. We're going to be going in April. We're going to stay April, May, and June, and then we're going to come back June and, or July and August, and we're going to go back September, October, November. And this is a requiring a lot of waiting on the Lord, even though it's also requiring a readiness to move. It's a very unique set of circumstances for Sam and I, but I've been waiting for that to happen for over a decade. Sam, me, the boys, for years, since about 2010, we've had numerous people approach us in random meetings, people that didn't know each other, and say, you guys are going to be going to Israel. In fact, some of you were here. Vince was probably the most recent person that I can think of to prophesy it uh, last spring, prophesied it in the middle of an uh, anti-immunity class that we were doing on Friday nights. And so Sam and I have been watching, the boys too, have been watching for this for years and, and really committed to not trying to make it happen. And when uh, Lighthouse first started, about every six months, maybe every year, I'd talk to the, to the elders and say, okay, I think it's like this many years away, or this is what I feel, you know, always with this in mind, but at some point we're going to be going. In the last couple of years, I just feel like the Lord wants me to testify. This is my spirit of prophecy testimony. Last couple of years, a couple of years ago, we had a big sign happen in our lives, and I told the leaders, or the elders, I said, I think it's a couple of years away. And then about a year ago, I, said, I think it's about a year, or about a, a year and a half ago, I said, I think it's about 18 months away. And here we are. Like, even though I didn't know it, I didn't understand what it meant or what it would feel like, we've known this was going to happen for a long time. And now that we're so close, all I can feel is impatient to just settle all the issues that it brings up. And I feel like the Lord is using this, and he, there's something he wants to give if we want to receive it in the area of patience, I mean, we're not the only ones that are being coming very close to things God has promised and feeling very impatient. That's all of us. All of us are coming very close to the things God has promised. And when we get close, we feel impatient, okay? So I felt like the Lord wanted me to do a couple of things before I get started. 
um, and I'm marking the time, so don't worry. So the first thing I want to do is just a real quick three-second refresher on flesh, heart, and spirit. Okay, so I want everybody, just give the person next to you a high five. I appreciate it, Jen, having us pray for each other. You can just high five. You don't have to pray. You can pray if you want to. Okay, you just touched somebody's flesh. Somebody just touched your flesh. Okay, flesh. Now, your heart is also part of your flesh. It's your, it's your inner part of your flesh. It's created. So your flesh, the biblical definition of flesh is the created part of you, like the dust without the spirit, right? Then your spirit. Everybody touch your spirit. It's not as easy to do. In fact, you can't really touch your spirit. The Holy Spirit, though, touches your spirit. So your heart stands between your flesh and, your, and the spirit. And you have a spirit, the spirit is the, the space where the uncreated God resides within a, a human being. And, and makes the, man is not like the animals. Animals don't have a place where the Holy Spirit resides in them. You are made in the image of God. You're a trinity, like God. So you have a place designed to, to connect to the Holy Spirit. And your heart is in between your, your body that you just touched and the spirit. All the things you think all the things you want to do, all the emotions you feel, there's a war going on for your heart. There's a war going on for what you think. There's a war going on for what you're feeling. There's a war going on for what you want to do. Your flesh is your main enemy in this war. Now, Satan, he speaks things to your mind, will, and emotions through your receptors and tries to pull you into the flesh. So it's not just your flesh warring against you. It's actually the the enemy, there's an enemy that can inspire your flesh. The enemy can't really touch you. He can lie to you. He can steal from you. But he has to get your cooperation to do that. There's a war going on for your cooperation. Now, the spirit is also warring for you. But the, the way the spirit wars is different than the way that the enemy wars. The spirit wars in a way that's not carnal. The spirit wars in a way that is patient and love and joy and peace, Okay. So you can't really touch your spirit. The spirit touches you. And I felt like the Lord wanted to do something in this room. So I just want everybody to close your eyes for a second. I'm just going to ask. This is really simple. This isn't magic. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to touch us. He's going to touch some of us, okay? So Holy Spirit in this room, would you come touch us? A couple of you touched. Anybody touched? Like a tingle, warmth. You're like, he's here. Yeah, I got a few, several hands raised. He touches us. The more we ask him to, the more he'll do. Because what we're doing is we're taking down our self-will, our self-leadership. What Matt was praying about, what other people amen. When we take down our self-leadership, he does more. Now, that doesn't make him on demand. Did he touch everybody in this room? No, we're not in control of it. It's not, witchcraft assumes man can control things by what we say and what we do. But we're not in control of God. He's just very generous. He is willing to touch us if, we are let, if we're willing to let him. That's really what this message is about today, is more encounter. This is a joyful message that I'm releasing this morning. More encounter with God. That's why we come here. If we're not coming here to touch God and have him touch us, then we're wasting our time, okay? Um, yeah, I think that's what I wanted to say before I started. Oh, waiting on God. So the title of this message is Waiting on God. Waiting on God is defined by the flesh a certain way. 
It means waiting on circumstance. An example would be, I got to pay this bill. I'm just waiting on God. I'll know God moved when I have the money to pay the bill. That's not waiting on God. That's waiting on circumstance. Do you see what I'm saying? Waiting on God is way different. Noah waited on God when he built the ark. If he would have waited on circumstance, he would have built the ark when it started raining. But he built the ark before anybody had ever seen rain. He was waiting on God, and God told him to do something that seemed out of sync for everything else that everyone else was doing that was just in the flesh, just reacting to circumstance. You can wait on circumstance and call it waiting on God. What you're really doing is you're waiting for the thing that you want to happen to happen, and then you're going to call that God. That doesn't mean it wasn't God that paid the bill. But you weren't waiting on God. You were waiting on something your eyes could see, your heart could feel. You're waiting actually on a flesh thing. Does that make sense? Waiting on God. When you're waiting on God, you're waiting for him to do something that you don't know, like that you can't really measure, that's something that you agree with in faith, and then the the world lines up around it. Waiting on God is way different than waiting on circumstances. And God wants us in 2023 to wait on the Lord. If we wait on the Lord, he will line up our world around his leadership. And I'm talking about your three square feet and every place that's a witness that you're a witness to that agrees with that witness. God is raising up witnesses this year. He's going to raise up witnesses that are in patience and faith. Okay? I just keep, he just keeps putting in my mind, I don't even know the story, but like, don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes, like just waiting as the enemy's coming. You know, I think that's like a war story from the Revolutionary War or something, but he wants us to actually be witnesses that we have a power source that doesn't react to the shifting wind in the waves, that we're actually looking at someone that the world can't see because he wants the world to be able to see him, Okay. And that's really what he prayed for in John 17. Now, Psalm 27, 14. Psalm 27 is probably the defining psalm for their house of prayer reality. And we've talked about that tons over the years. But Psalm 27, 14 is actually a faith psalm. David writes all of Psalm 27, and then he gets to 14, and he's like, I'm waiting for this to happen. I'm not living in the reality. When David writes most of the psalms that talk about his faith, he's being pursued and People are trying to kill him. And like there's, you know, there's he's, all the stories, they re, all the psalms relate back to a story of some sort. And then he sang them in a tabernacle later, right? But the realities that he learned, he was learning while waiting for things from the Lord. And that's really the heart of David is the man after God's own heart is waiting. Like he waited a lot, okay? So wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Everybody say brave and courageous. This is what God wants. He wants you to be brave in the face of circumstance. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Now, waiting and the notes, item one, equals humility. And I, I probably should have wrote waiting on God because you can wait on circumstance as well and, and trick yourself into think you're waiting on God. But waiting on God equals humility. Waiting is a work of humility. It says to God, I value your leadership. Actually, the most important thing to me, God, is your leadership. But whatever you say to do, I'm going to do, right? So waiting is not inaction. If you wait on the Lord and the Lord tells you to do something, then you do it. Like quick to obey is actually part of waiting on the Lord, okay? Because we can think of waiting as like sitting and waiting. We also think of waiting as like a waiter waiting on you, right? Waiting on the Lord is both. But you don't want to bring somebody stuff they didn't order, right? Would you get a good tip if you brought a bunch of stuff somebody didn't order? Probably not. I mean, you might find a generous person like Noah, but you know, 
Mostly you're not. Okay, so now God never admonishes us to move ahead of him, for him, or without him. You won't find one passage in this book where God tells somebody to move ahead of him, for him, or without him. But he gives lots of direction to, in faith, do something that looks like people are moving ahead of where everyone else is at. So you have to understand, waiting on the Lord will actually look to flesh-driven people like impatience a lot of the time because they're not waiting on the Lord. But if you're waiting on the Lord, you actually will do things that look a little bit hasty because they look out of sync with what's happening around everybody else because the Holy Spirit is seeing something everybody else isn't seeing. Does that make sense? So you can't in the flesh be like, oh, that person doesn't do anything. They just kind of sit there with a Bible in their lap. They're always talking to God. They must be waiting on the Lord. That's not the way that we could measure that. We measure it by fruit. We measure it by how somebody's personality is becoming more and more like Jesus. And Jesus has a really specific testimony in the Gospels, okay? So God never admonishes us to move ahead of him, for him, or without him. Impatience runs ahead of God. Knows what it thinks God wants, and it's like, we got to do this or God's going to be upset. God is never going to be upset if we wait on him. God is upset when we get ahead of him, and God is upset when we don't obey him. But he's never upset when we're waiting on him, waiting with him, okay? Adam and Eve operating impatiently and independently from God was the original sin. They were trying to do something God had already promised them, which was be like God. They just weren't waiting on the Lord, okay? So patience is a fruit of the Spirit, and impatience is a work of the flesh, but they look opposite to their true nature to the flesh. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, impatience a work of the flesh, but they look opposite. Patience looks like impatience, like biblical patience, Holy Spirit patience, supernatural. I feel satisfied while I'm waiting. Patience looks often like impatience to the flesh. Okay? So we have to understand that we can't evaluate these things by the flesh. We have to evaluate them by what the Spirit is saying. This is so important. Otherwise, you'll come to the exact wrong conclusion. We must evaluate what constitutes patience by the Spirit, not the flesh. The gospel teaches us how to die to our sin nature by waiting on the leadership of God through the Spirit of prophecy. Now, prophecy, if you're anything like me, can be a very confusing term. When I was a young man, I was, I was raised in the church. I had an experience in the year 1999 where I heard God for the very first time. I didn't think that was prophetic. I didn't think that was prophecy. I just thought I had heard God. I started, actually went and bought every book I could find about hearing God because I was like, I didn't know you could hear God. Now, you have to remember, I was surrounded by people that could hear God. I was trying to, my mom could hear God. My grandma could hear God. I went to a church where people could hear God. But, and I didn't realize that what they were talking about was something that was really clear and plain in the Bible, I just had never experienced. But when I experienced it, I didn't even connect with them doing it. I was like, I got to find out everything I can about this. I didn't know. So there's a lot of places in the, in the church where there's faith and patience. We just don't have the exact same terminology, okay? So it's like when we hear about prophecy, it's very tempting to be like, oh, that means future telling. That's not what prophecy means in the Bible. Prophecy means something way different, Okay. So the, the, the prophecy isn't limited to future telling. It's the entire testimony of Jesus. If you look at item G on page one of the notes, the entire testimony of Jesus includes, this isn't limited to, but it includes how he waited for the leadership of God before doing things God had already empowered him to do. Part of Jesus' testimony was self-control, a fruit of the Spirit. He didn't just do things because they were what God wanted done, and he could do them. 
He waited until the Father said to do them. And a good example is Luke 4. There's many examples, not just this one. Luke 4, 3 to 4. If you remember, people got mad at him for not raising Lazarus from the dead right away. Then the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Jesus, that's part of, that's the spirit of prophecy was Jesus doing nothing. Does that make sense? He was waiting. Okay, not doing nothing, but he, to the flesh, it looked like he was doing nothing. He was actually very actively agreeing with God's leadership right then. How he healed, multiplied, taught, and led. This is all part of his testimony. Okay? And the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, which is why I'm connecting these two. So if you want to define prophecy biblically, you have to define it as everything Jesus did. Not just Jesus in his physical body that was crucified. Jesus is actually the head and we are the body. So the, t- the spirit of prophecy is actually everything Jesus' body does agreeing with his leadership. Does that make sense? So it's not just future telling. It's actually giving money to somebody. It is teaching. It's discipling. The spirit of prophecy is everything Jesus does. And it's not limited to what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Jesus is alive and active and leading parts of his church right now. And that is the spirit of prophecy. Okay? It's the testimony of Jesus. So John 5, 18 to 20. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, speaking of Jesus. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son, of, son can do nothing by himself. So this is, this is prophetic. This is the spirit of prophecy. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does, also does. For the father loves the son and shows him. Everybody say shows him. God wants to show you everything he's doing. I just, we just did a little three-second practice. We're like, Holy Spirit, touch us. He did. Some of us, he touched. If we did it again, he touched some of us different. Like there's a time and a season. There's a, a flow. The way that Jesus told Nicodemus it works, he's like, it's like the wind comes from one place. You don't know where it came from. It's going someplace you don't know. So is everyone born of the Spirit. It's, there's no formula for this. There's no, hey, that guy hears God a lot. God must really like him. Who was a guy in the Bible that heard God a lot and was crazy rebellious? Balaam. Balaam. Okay? So we don't want to go the air of Balaam. That's one of the warnings in the end times. It's got nothing to do with personality. It's got to do with putting our heart in a place where it lets itself be led by the Spirit and not the flesh. Okay? This is so important. Um. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also does. For the father loves the son, and the father loves you. I want to declare to you, the father loves you, and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. Were they truly astonished? Yes. Did that change them? Not all of them. Being astonished is not the same as being humbled, okay? Now, Jesus only ministered, healed, multiplied, taught, and led prophetically because the spirit of prophecy is what qualified his submission to the kingdom of God. It was actually the fact that Jesus operated prophetically that qualified him as the Messiah. Not that he needed qualification. He is. But he was willing to be sanctified that we could be sanctified. That's what he said in John 17. He actually lived a qualified way so that we could follow him. It didn't help him in any way to come and take on flesh and then operate in the spirit. He did that so we could follow him. So when we look at the way that he lived, we have to say, if we're going to follow him, I'm willing to live the same way. I'm willing to actually forego 
all the pull of my flesh to do the things that I think need to be done and wait on the Lord like Jesus. That's, that's the basic gospel. What I'm preaching to you is the basic gospel that you can be saved by actually letting Jesus lead your life, okay? Now, Revelation 19, 10. Everything Jesus did, does, and will do, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, and I gave you two two different translations of Revelation 19.10. Now, I, I mention this often. This is one of my, the things the Holy Spirit, I, and I think the reason that I mention this so often is that the Holy Spirit has tried to lead me into this for years and years and years, and I'm somewhat of a self-willed person. He's breaking down my resistance, though, faithfully, but if you would like, he says that all the time. That's probably because that's something God's trying to get me to see right, okay? This is one of those things. Revelation 19.10. I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant. Now, this is an angel talking to John. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, you might be like, you know, you always say, Tom, that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Like, but does that necessarily mean that we're only, that, that like everything is actually the spirit of prophecy? Like when you go and you give your tithe and, because the Holy Spirit told you to, or you go and serve in the soup kitchen because the Holy Spirit told you to, or you go and make a friend with somebody because you want to lead him to Jesus only because the spirit told you to. Is that all prophecy? Yes. According to the Bible, and I'm going to give you another translation, the NLT translation, Okay. Then it says, then I fell down at his feet to worship. Now, you can use any translation. I'm just doing this to show you the contrast. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. This is what prophecy is. It's a clear witness of Jesus. So if you start a Bible study and it's Holy Spirit-led, that's prophetic. That's what it means to be prophetic. You don't want to do anything not prophetic. You do anything not prophetic, you're a witness of another kingdom. You want to be a witness of Jesus' kingdom. This is so important because the pressure that's coming on the earth is going to press people like you and me to try and do things for God, ahead of God, but not waiting on God. That's the warning over and over and over in the book of Revelation. It's patience and faith is the witness he's going to extract from the earth under intense pressure. Now, can you guys feel the pressure in the earth to do something about the trouble? I hope you can. I mean, I hope that you can. But we want to be a people that are like, somebody's already done something about the trouble. It's finished. What, what Jesus did, he already did something about the trouble. What I'm doing is I'm waiting on him to tell me what to do so I can be his hands and his feet about the trouble. But if I just, I'm like, he hates the trouble and I'm going to go do stuff for him, that's called lawlessness in the Bible. And we don't want to be lawless because that's a bad witness. It's a witness of an entirely different kingdom that is an imposter to the kingdom of Jesus, okay? Now, the Bible was only written to people trying to follow God. It, it, it is not a letter or a, a group of books written to a bunch of people that don't want God's leadership. It's not a warning to people that don't want God's leadership. It's only written to people that say yes in the very, even the very rudimentary stages of saying, I want to know what's true. I want to follow God. If there's a God, I want to know him, okay? It's written to God's people. Everyone trying to follow God has what they deem to be good and godly intentions. Everybody. You were, you were raised to have ideas about what's good and what's righteous and what's moral and what's godly. Even the most depraved person among us is raised in a culture that has values that it deems good, okay? Everybody has an idea of their own, of what they deem to be good and godly intentions. 
But people who want to follow God still have a sin nature. So you can want to do really good things. You could, do, you, could want, you could have studied this thing for 20 years. I did this. You could study it for years and years and years and be like, I know what God wants to do. And then you could go do it and actually be in the flesh, be in your sin nature doing it. That's representing an entirely different kingdom. Now, your flesh will scream some things at you. Satan comes as an angel of light. Your flesh will scream at you. You are not doing the gospel. What is the gospel? It's actually learning to hear God. That's the gospel. Jesus said, you're going to go into all the world from Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. You're going to preach the things that I've taught you. But first, wait until power comes from you on high. And what you're going to teach everybody is what I'm teaching you, which is to listen to God. Many times Peter had great ideas about what this said. He's like, let's go. Let's send, you know, James and John, let's send fire on this place. Peter, are you going to establish your kingdom now? I'm going to rate, take out my sword, cut off this guy's ear because he's resisting the kingdom. Were any of those things lawful? No. But were they, were they things you could glean if you studied this and d- decide this is what God wants? Absolutely. Okay, this is so important, okay? So we're going to read a passage that you have to have this context to understand what the passage is talking about. And in context, this is what the passage is talking about. This is Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then, everybody say then, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So by default, by definition, the Bible's clear at many, many places. If you're not doing what the Holy Spirit tells you to do in a real-time basis, you are doing what your sinful nature craves. It'd be like, well, starting a Bible study is not what my sinful nature craves. In fact, that sounds really hard. I would only do that because I want to try and help God. Like, that sounds awful to me, but I'm willing to do it because I love him so much. What is that about? You. It's about you, your strength, your faithfulness, your righteousness. And that's what this passage in Galatians is talking about. That's, that's your sinful nature. That's your flesh nature. It's just we get in our minds turned around. We're like, sin is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No, that's not what he's talking about at all in this passage. He's actually talking about wanting to do really good things. Everybody say good intentions. Now, you don't have to take my word for that. It says it in this passage, okay? So the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit, page two, wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions on both sides. You have good flesh intentions, and the Spirit's like, no. You actually have good spirit intentions, and your flesh is like, no. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's all dependent on what God said. It's hard to be confident in what God said, but it's super easy to hear God. Hearing God is one of the easiest things that a Christian can do. Now, how can I say that with such confidence? How many of you have had an experience where hearing God is so easy? It's just so piece of cake. Hear him all the time. Abigail's honest. She's like, I don't know about that. One or two times. Hearing God's real easy when he hits you over the head with something you didn't know. And you were like, oh my gosh, Lord, I've been, re- I've been resisting you all this time. I wasn't even trying to hear you, and you just hit me over the head with it. Hearing God is actually quite easy. The reason that I say that is that it says in the Bible, ask and you'll receive. That's the only qualification I'm, I'm getting the Spirit. Ask and you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. Hearing God is a piece of cake. What is very difficult is being confident in what God said. Incredibly difficult. And there's a reason for that. You've got your flesh that hears. It's like... 
I've heard that autism, one of the issues with autism is your receptors are so open. You're just getting so, is that right? You're getting so much feedback. It's like, I can't take all the feedback. That's your flesh in the role of trying to hear what God is saying. Just, you can hear, I can see David. I can see Tom. Tom tells me what he thinks. Samantha tells me what she thinks. Then all of a sudden, I've got all these ideas in my head. I'm thinking, is that God? Is that God? Is that God? I just got so much flesh going on. In between, the spirit is easy to hear. Tom, this is what the word says. Tom, this is what I'm saying. Tom, this is what I'm calling you to. I've got all these emotions, the things I'm trying to decide. Do I want that or do I want that? Do I want that or do I want that? Do I feel that or do I feel that? And if I could get this out of the way, all these will, all these emotions, all the things I think, it'd be easy to see the difference between the two. But the problem is where my emotions are raging, it's very difficult to hear God. It's easier, much easier in my experience to hear God for somebody else than it is to hear him for myself. I could almost tell you, guaranteed, the top three things God's trying to deal with in your life. I can't catch any of them that he's trying to deal with in my life. And the same is true for you, okay? And so a humble people are like, I got to wait on God on this thing. And he honors that faith. He actually, he holds all the circumstances. He works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when you commit to waiting on God, it's not like if I wait too long, all these things are going to spin out of control. God, we're running out of time. No, we're not running out of time. He controls time. Time is in his hands. Your times are in his hands is what the Bible says. So when you commit I got to wait on God, not circumstances. Waiting on God does not mean I'm waiting for the bill to come through. I'm waiting for the person to change their mind. I'm waiting for this door to open. That's waiting on circumstance. I'm talking about, I got to hear God in this thing. That's a faith thing. That only happens with a still small voice. It's dim. And it's not dim because God is dim. And it's not still and small because God is unable to communicate with us. It's that way because God chose love. And the difference, the, the power differential between God, what's God's, what's the limit of God's power? Somebody tell me. Oh, there is no limit. What's the limit of your power? It's finite. You have a finite amount of power. I mean, you probably got about 16 hours in you. It depends on what you ate for breakfast, how much time you got today, what other demands are on your life. You have a very finite amount of power. Because of this power differential, God refuses to violate the boundary lines of your heart. So he'll give us as much as we want. I want to hear you, God. He's very careful. He's very intentional about speaking to us in a way that doesn't violate the sovereign nature of our mind, will, and emotions. He won't do that. Now, we can ask him, come and possess me, God. That's actually a good prayer. You know, demons try to possess people as a counterfeit to the fact the Holy Spirit wants to possess us. The Holy Spirit wants to have us live, move, and have our being in Jesus. Like, he's the spirit of Jesus. But he will only do that to to the point where we believe what we're asking for. I want you to possess me in the area of my generosity. And he'd say, Tom, I, I will do that to the point where you say no. And you're already saying no because you're imagining what this means. There's some, some line you've already drawn in your mind. I'm willing to obey you until it does this thing. And that's the goal of our lives is to get to the point where we stop doing that, where we're like, where are we going? What are we doing? What are we giving? What are we getting? Whatever you say, God. That's the way Jesus lived. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the spirit of prophecy. This is the way Jesus lived. Now, it would be very tempting to think, if we all did that, nothing would get done. But I want to tell you, if we all did that, everything, he would come. If we all did that, he would come. Because we'd all be saying, we need you. Right? And when we're not saying that, we're like, we need you up till this line. He's like, I'm waiting for you. 
You see, God, he's waiting on us. So us waiting on God, that puts us equally yoked in the relationship. This is so important, okay? Now, because the flesh and spirit are at war with one another, those who are impatient to do the work in the flesh, anybody ever felt impatient to get something done in the flesh? I guarantee, if you're a believer, you have. Because there are things you care about that are righteous that need doing, right? And if you've got, a, if you've got any sort of receptors working, you're like, something needs to happen. It's bad that it's not happening. And we can easily slip into I'm bad if I'm not addressing it, right? That's the flesh. Jesus has already addressed it. It's finished. What we're supposed to be doing is learning to commune with him, to communicate with him, and then let him work his leadership through us. Again, what, what a bunch of us were praying this morning, okay? So those who find, uh, or because the flesh are, and spirit are at war with one another, those who are impatient to do the work, work in the flesh, that's everybody, are also hesitant to quickly respond to the Spirit. Have you ever found that? The Spirit highlighted something? Hey, that's, ca- I don't, that's crazy. I don't know about that. I'm going to wait on that one. Yeah. It's the same Spirit. It's, it's just the flesh. It's the flesh vying for the leadership of your mind, will, and emotions. What you feel, what you think, and what you want to do. Okay? So when patience is a work of the flesh, it reacts to the world urgently and the Spirit slowly and with uncertainty. I'm going to say that one more time. Impatience is a work of the flesh. It reacts to the world urgently. we got to do something. And the spirit slowly and uncertainly. I'm not sure that's what it's supposed to do. (laughs) Right? And the whole goal of the gospel, the whole reason Jesus died on a cross, offered up his spirit, it was broken up and multiplied like the loaves and fishes didn't cost Jesus his spirit. It's infinite. The Holy Spirit is God. The reason the spirit was given to you was so that you could flip this equation and that you would react urgently to the spirit and slowly to the world. That's what Jesus did. You see what I'm saying? He, when the Holy Spirit told him to do something, he did it. He even violated what everybody else thought was the law. He harvested on the Sabbath. He healed people on the Sabbath. But he didn't react to the world urgently. When Lazarus died, he listened to the Spirit. It, it caused him pain. He cried. His flesh felt it. His flesh felt all of the complaints about him. His flesh felt his, he wanted to be popular. There's no temptation that you've ever experienced that Jesus didn't experience. He wanted to please the Father. He felt the shame. He despised it. That's why he went to the cross. He felt the shame we feel for not spreading the gospel enough, for not doing enough good works, for not seeing our city change, for not seeing this prayer room grow. He felt the exact same shame. He just didn't respond to it. He was slow. Now he prayed about it. He prayed about it. And then he waited on God. And when God told him to do something, he did it. And it made no sense to anybody. To everybody else, he seemed either impatient or ineffective. One of the two. He's either doing something completely on the wrong time, or he was doing something that they didn't even need right then. Right? They wanted something that would satisfy their flesh. Because they wanted God. Do You see, it didn't make them bad. All the people that didn't understand Jesus, they wanted God too. People that didn't want God didn't care about Jesus at all, or the Jews. They had their own agenda. They were doing something in the world. This is all a message to people that want God, that have good intentions. So those who find leadership in their own flesh have good intentions, but are out of sync and reacting to circumstances now. Well, there's a need for that Bible study. There is a need for this thing. There's a need for this thing. If we don't do that, then what's the point of the church? Well, the point of the church is to wait on the leadership of God. That's the point of the church. And when God says something and you're anointed to do it and full of grace and power, then when you do it, it lasts. It's effective. Now, if you read about the prophets in the Bible, all the people who wrote the New Testament, 
they're still impacting us to this day. But in their day, they seemed like renegade, rebel, do nothing, care nothing, completely against the religious system in their day. We have to be a people that are willing to just say, I'm waiting on God, and when I hear him, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, by his grace, that's the hardest thing, is when you hear him to actually do something with him. But I'm not going to give in to my impatient flesh that thinks it knows what's to do. I'm just going to assume I'm not, right, not quite right. I don't either see what God wants exactly right, and I don't see how to do it quite right. So I'm going to actually let strength rise as I wait on the Lord. Strength will rise as you wait on the Lord. But you'll burn yourself out in vanity trying to do stuff for God. You really will. Okay? Now, to hear the Spirit and trust the flesh uh, is disobedient and will disqualify most. Ever say most. Now, that word most is translated many in several translations. It's polis, and I'm about to read the, what I'm talking about, G4183, which is translated many or most throughout the gospel. And that's a typo, not man. It's many. Believers, uh, the, to hear the Spirit and trust the flesh. Everybody say, hear the Spirit. Or hear the Spirit. Trust the flesh. Anybody ever had that experience? Heard the Spirit. Seems dicey. Trust the flesh. Yes, we, we're going to do that as much as we can without looking like idiots. <laughs> right? We'll do that. We're, yes, absolutely. That's what the Spirit said. God won't mind if we just do our best. He will, actually. If we do our best to hear him and agree with him, he won't mind that at all. He actually calls that faithful. That's what Abraham did. Abraham got called faithful, even though Abraham made a ton of mistakes. But if we say, actually, he doesn't mind if we just kind of do what we think is best, that's trying our best. That's not trying our best. Trying our best is doing what he says, the best, agreeing with the letter of it to the best of our ability, knowing we see dimly, we're probably going to fail, but his grace is going to honor faith and raise up a witness of weak and broken people listening to someone else that no one else can see. Okay? That's what he wants. He wants, to, he wants the world to see us listening to someone that they can't see. Okay? So to hear the Spirit and trust the flesh is disobedient and will disqualify most believers from going forward with God in the first resurrection. Matthew 7, 22 to 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They've got a good case for Jesus. We did our best to do everything that this thing says. No, what this is saying is listen to God and do only what he says. You did your best to do what you think this thing says, not what the Spirit thinks this thing says. Your flesh is at war with the Spirit. There is guilt and shame for not doing the gospel like every other church, basically. And so our flesh gets very impatient and feels a pressure to get something done. Overwhelming need is going to create an atmosphere of overwhelming lawlessness. That's what Matthew 24, 9 to 15 is really saying. He's saying you'll be offered up to tribulation. You're going to get overwhelming need. It's going to cause all kinds of relational problems, betrayal, offense. And then the love of many is going to grow cold. And you need endurance until the end. You actually need to hear what Jesus is saying about it, okay? It's possible to, with good intentions, prophesy, cast out demons, multiply, teach, disciple, serve, discern spirits, do you know you can discern spirits lawlessly? You can actually know that's a spirit. There was a girl that was following Paul around. She's like, this is, a, this is an apostle, the most high God. This, is, this man is the most high God. She discerned the spirit. She was lawless. She was under witchcraft. Like, you don't want to do that. Just because you can discern a spirit doesn't mean that you're actually agreeing with God rightly about it. You have to be patient and faithful. God, what are you saying about it? Okay. 
So you can discern spirits lawlessly apart from first love or patience and faith. Knowing the truth requires growing and adhering to the spirit of prophecy that tells us the truth. So if you know, you're actually required to agree more. The more you know, the more you're required to, required to agree with waiting, waiting on the Lord. You will never find a passage that says, stop waiting on the Lord and get something done. You will never find a passage in the Bible about that. But you will find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds telling you, warning you, your flesh will misinterpret all this stuff and you will feel impatient to act. Don't give into it. Learn to hear God. That's what the Bible's talking about. So to hear the Spirit tell us truth, but then to not respond in faith equals arrogance, which is, has a fruit of cowardice, unbelief, abomination, hatred or murder, lustful looking immorality, witchcraft or rebellion, idolatry, which is compromise and lying. Matthew 21, 8, 28 to 31. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I'll go, sir. I heard you. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? This is a statement about agreeing with the leadership of God prophetically. That's in context. That's what this is about. They said to him the first, Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Now, was he talking to people that didn't get a bunch of stuff done in the name of God? No, he's talking to people that got everything done in the name of God. They were the arbiters of the law. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to people that wrote the book and enforced the law. But he was saying, harlots and tax collectors are going in before you because they want to hear me and just do what I said. They won't have grand illusions that they have to be the ones that save the world. They'll let me save them. They will see, I, it's, I'm a sinner God. That's what he said. Two went up to pray on the temple. One of them, a Pharisee, I'm thankful I'm not like that guy. He doesn't get anything done in the kingdom. I'm doing all these things. I tithe, I pay my, right? And then there's a guy that's like, I don't even deserve to be here. Thank you. Thank you. If you could do anything with me. I mean, the thief on the cross, what, is, what was his ministry? He believed God. That's the thief on the cross's ministry. He'll have a testimony in heaven. He'll have a testimony on the earth for a thousand years. There will be people that are like, I prophesied in his name. I cast out demons in his name. I did many wonders in his name. Is Jesus going to be like, thief on the cross, will you go talk to them and tell them how you got in? How did you get in? Where was the Bible study you started? Where were the people you discipled? He told me I could come in. I believed him. Right? There's a good teaching about it. It's going around Facebook right now. Maybe you've seen the little video. This passage that we just read, this vineyard passage, you know, it's about God planting a vineyard, them doing the work, him sending his son. This is often a passage. I mean, I'm sorry, that's not, that's not the passage I was thinking of. The, the passage about the one, the one son that says, I won't do it, and then goes and does it, and the, passage, uh, and the other son says, I will do it, and doesn't do it. That's a passage most often in biblical teaching that's used to encourage lawlessness. I just want to tell you that. That's a guilt passage trying to get people I mean, it gets turned to a guilt passage, trying to get people to just do something, right? Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Well, that's prefaced with be hearers of the word, capital W, Jesus. So you have to understand, church culture is not holy. You know this, right? Church culture is not holy. He's taking people from the church. 
He's got his winnowing fork in his hand. He's going to thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He wants to make the church culture holy. How will we know the church culture is holy? It will shine as a witness of waiting on him and doing things supernaturally. It will be a kingdom of overflow, not overwork. That's how we'll know. That's a last day's reality. It's going to happen. I think you're going to see a huge down payment of it in 2023 that will manifest in unity in 2024. I think that right now we are in the stages. I just hear the Holy Spirit saying this to me, so I believe it. It will help me. Right? Whether I'm right or wrong, whether I'm seeing it dimly either way, but whether I'm right or wrong, believing this will help me be more righteous. That's what we want. But I, I truly believe 2023 is a year of great grace where people that want to get clean are going to get clean and be a witness of people that wait on God and then supernatural, the river that we were praying about, that we were worshiping about, that river is going to do even greater works through people that are yielded. That's what happened in Acts 2. It was people that were yielded. So that, the idea of the two sons, one did it and one didn't, that's often used to encourage lawlessness, as are all the main parables in the Bible. They can all be used to encourage lawlessness. If you interpret it in the flesh, you will come to the wrong conclusion and think, God wants me to get off my keister and go do some stuff. And he does. When he tells you to, the way he tells you to, no more, no less. He wants you, remember we talked about washing feet a couple weeks ago. Not the whole body, not nothing. Just what he says to do. That's what Jesus did. He washed the disciples' feet. Not their whole body, not nothing. Just what the Father told him to do. Okay, now, this takes courage, patience, and faith. We overcome, in the end times, and throughout church history, impatience, fear, and doubt. Revelation 21, 7 to 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. The overcoming, what you're overcoming is not a horde of demonized people that want to kill you. That's not what you're overcoming. Do you, do you believe that? We're not getting ready to fight back. We're actually getting ready to not fight back. That's what he told Peter. We're getting ready to wait patiently when a ton of pressure is on. It looks like God's kingdom is about to fail. So right now, a ton of pressure is on. It looks like God's kingdom is about to fail. Do you feel patient and faithful about that? Do you feel like I want to hear God and I'm not going to do anything until I hear him? That's what we're supposed to be growing in right now, okay? He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their place in the lake of, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Wait a second. Cowardly and unbelieving? You didn't, like, make a way for cowardly and unbelieving to come into the new Jerusalem? No. Because I'm never going to violate your free will. So if you want to listen to me and wait on me, you want to wait on God, then I'll make a way for you to come in. But if you don't want to wait on God, I'm not going to let you come in and corrupt heaven like you have the earth in my name. This is the first resurrection that he's talking about. And the second, okay? Not just the first, which is the second death. So many people will get a bonus round of a 1,000 years of learning to wait on the Lord. And there'll be, there'll be witnesses that come out of the new Jerusalem. They'll go to cities all over the earth. And people will say, I prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name. I can't believe you're sending me back home. And he's going to send witnesses to say, look, you misunderstood this. You didn't wait on God. You waited on circumstance. You waited on you. You felt guilt and shame and felt like you had to do all these things for God, and you made a mess of his witness. And that's why it's such a mess in the world. The mess in the world is not the, the part of people that don't have the Holy Spirit in them. It's because of people that have the Holy Spirit won't listen to it, to him. We have to be people that listen to him, okay? Now, those who find leadership in the Spirit 
also have good intentions, but they are responding prophetically. So both the lawless and the lawful have good intentions, according to the Bible. And I gave you those passages, some of them already. There's many of them. It says many walk. Paul, Paul said this uh, in Philippians. He said many walk whose God is their belly. They, they create a mockery of this whole thing. Yes, they're walking with us. They want the same things. They just don't want it the same way. We have to be a people that want it God's way. So those who find leadership in the Spirit also have good intentions, the Spirit. But they are responding prophetically to circumstances the Holy Spirit sees and the flesh cannot see. To react to the direction of the Holy Spirit, so reaction is not bad. It's just what are we reacting to? If we're reacting to the world, then the world is leading us. If we're reacting to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is leading us. To react to the direction of the Holy Spirit looks like doing things that either don't matter or are too soon. The Holy Spirit is seeing things that the world can't see. To react to the world around us is unfaithful, but looks like it's in sync with the flesh. It looks like that's the right thing at the right time. Yeah, that thing's happening, so we should do this thing. But the Holy Spirit doesn't operate like that. The Holy Spirit's usually three or four steps ahead and saying, yes, you could follow the curve of the world right into the lake of fire if you want to, but I actually would like to tell you to take a left right here or a right right here because I see what's coming. And if you just keep reacting to what's already here, then you're like Noah. You're not building the boat before the rain. You're trying to build it in the rain, and you'll drown. And so everybody that I was hoping would see your witness that you could hear something no one else hears and do something no one else does. And then when this very same flood comes down, I'll raise you up. Well, I'm drowning those that didn't want to listen to me, right? This is the witness he's looking for. Impatient serving of God equals arrogance and shame. Much of the work done in the name of God is born from a self-centered attempt to quench shame or satisfy pride. That's called the way of Cain. So the primary example in the Bible is Cain and Abel both offering a sacrifice. And when you read that story, if you're anything like me when I was a kid, I'm like, I don't get it, God. You seem kind of unfair. They both gave you what they had. They gave you what they liked the most. And God's like, yeah, but there was something I wanted, and Abel listened. Abel found out what I wanted. Cain would not, okay? All people can react to present circumstances. Identifying the problems tied to lawlessness and disobedience is easy, because they have consequences that we find ourselves in. We can all easily figure out there's a problem here. <laughs> there is a problem here. We might be wrong about who to blame, but we can pretty quickly figure out what the, what the problem is. Worse, there's, a, there's a feedback loop that happens. Worsening circumstances will typically produce doubt. Well, we got this bad problem. Doing the same thing over and over again is, what, what is that? Insanity. <laughs> well, it's not insanity if it's what God's telling you to do. <laughs> It's called faithful, if it's what God's telling you to do. God didn't give you a brain to use it. That's a, that's a lie in the church. God gave you a brain to submit it. This thing in the middle, flesh, spirit, God gave you a brain to give it to the spirit, not to use it. And so we have to be a people that are like, well, whatever God says, that's the thing I'm going to do. And if it's wrong all the way to the end, I'd rather be faithful than right. He knows what I'm trying to do. He knows if I'm trying to hear him, and he knows if shame and pride are driving me. Okay, he knows the difference. I might not even know the difference, but he knows the difference. So worsening circumstances, if you just interpret that in the flesh, it will lead you to doubt, which will then lead you to shame, which will then lead you to impatience, which will then lead you to judgment, which will bring you all the way back around to worsening circumstances. So we can really work our tails off trying to do exactly what God wants and find ourselves feeling terrible that it's not working so work even harder and find that that brings more judgment and then we come right around to even worse circumstances what am i describing anybody know israel circa jeremiah they tried like crazy 
to fix this problem to the point where they started worshiping someone called the queen of heaven. They got so confused, they started worshiping an entirely false god, and they were like, well, well, this is what we do. That was their rationale. This is what we do. Our husband said it was okay because we're so desperate to deal with this trouble that we've lost sight of just settling down and agreeing with God about judgment. Now, that seemed crazy, didn't it? To go to Babylon, the, the, the army, the world power that was coming to judge them, that would seem crazy except for the Holy Spirit who has said to Jeremiah, in 70 years... I'm going to bring you back out. Trust me. Go there, buy houses, plant, build families. I'm going to bring you back out in 70 years. I'm trying to humble you. I'm trying to get you in the leadership of God. But most of Israel couldn't hear that. They could only see the worsening circumstances. They doubted God's love for them. So they tried like crazy to try and answer it. But they kept coming back to Jeremiah. Isn't that funny? They kept coming back to Jeremiah and saying, Jeremiah, tell us what's going to happen. What what is God saying? And Jeremiah would tell them, and then they'd go right back to feeling shame about it, doubt about it. You can hear God and not listen to him. It's easy to hear God. It's hard to have confidence in what he's saying, especially when he's calling us to wait. I'm almost done. Waiting on God produces unity of effort, strength, and authority. The kingdom of God is one of overflowing, not overworking. Works born from a prophetic revelation have deep roots of waiting on and understanding God's heart for circumstances. If you wait on the Lord, you are guaranteed success. Those who wait on the Lord are never ashamed. You wait on the Lord. You set your heart to wait on the Lord, even though all of creation screams at you to do something. Because all of creation is groaning that the sons of God would be revealed. That pressure will reveal the sons of God. The ones who don't listen to everyone else's demands for action and just to do what the Holy Spirit says, when they do something, it will be so powerful that it will be a witness. This is the way Jesus lived, okay? So the kingdom of God is one of overflowing, not overworking. Works born from a prophetic revelation have deep roots of waiting on and understanding God's heart for circumstances. God sees circumstances different than we do. Patient or prophetic works testify that God is the author of the action and therefore provides the authority and power to make it work well and remain. If God is the one doing it, it's going to be way better than if we did it. If the Lord doesn't build the house, you labor in vain, is the way it says it in Psalm 27. 1 Corinthians 3.13, But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. Now, this implies that everybody thinks their work has value. So we don't want to be a people that are like, hey, that was, that was great ministry. A bunch of people responded. They all said yes. Everybody got saved. Did they? Did they? Well, we don't know. We don't know how faithful they'll stay as God tests them like he's testing us. We don't know. We can't evaluate a ministry that way. We can only say, I did what God said to do. When I prayed this morning for the kidney stones, I'm like, God, it's not going to happen. Like, I know. Like, it's so weird. And he's like, if you will be faithful, I will do it. He did it. He healed somebody of kidney stones this morning. I don't know who. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like an idiot for saying it in the flesh. But the spirit, when I got done, I'm like, God, usually there's like some kind of flesh help where it's like somebody like, ah, maybe that was me. I don't know. I feel a little pain here. But he's trying to get me off those training wheels to the point where I just said, he said it. I know he did. I know what happened. Which I'm getting there. Slowly, but surely. Hopefully it doesn't take another 20 years to get there. But he's calling all of us to just do the thing that he's saying to do and trust that he knows how to correct us over time, okay? 
But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. Last page. And patience runs ahead of God. It takes love, though it is a shame-filled attempt to be love. It lacks love. I'm sorry. Man, lots of, lots of typos this morning. And patience runs ahead of God. It lacks love, though it is shame-filled, a shame-filled attempt to be love. It's like, I, if I'm going to be a loving person, then a loving person does this. No. A loving person is loved by God. We love because he first loved us. And then that overflows into doing things the way God does them, not the way people do, to get accolades and credit and look like a loving person. Okay. And patient works lack the spirit of prophecy. Therefore, they lack the power and authority of God. They're usually harder. And if you measure success by how hard you worked, you will come up short before God because you think he's a hard man and he was trying to get something where he hadn't sown. But he's not a hard man. He will only reap where he is sown. And his burden is, is uh, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So we have to be a people that agree with him about that, okay? Impatience results in vain effort, momentum, enthusiasm that results in works that fail at exactly the wrong time. Enthusiasm is not a good marker of faithfulness. And if you want a, a good story in the Bible about that, we should look at the prophets of Baal versus Elijah starting the fire. They had a ton of enthusiasm. And they were cutting themselves, dancing all day long, trying to get God to move. Elijah, not super popular, not a lot of momentum, not a lot of enthusiasm, but the fire fell, right? And that's what we've got to gauge stuff by, what God said to do, even if it looks crazy to dump water on the wood that you're trying to get God to set on fire, okay? Um, Matthew 13, 21. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. You have to have the deep roots of, and this is a good example. Sam and I decide that we're going to do something because the Holy Spirit told us to, or because we did. Let's say we're going to buy a car. And I'm like, I like this car. This, is, this car looks like it's going to go fast. I think that we should buy it. Yes, it's more than we could afford. We're going we're gonna to buy it because I just think that's what we should do. And then we get the car, and the car's terrible. It doesn't work right. It's breaking all the time. Then I'm suddenly in doubt. I don't even know if I should have bought this car. And then I can't see it through the problems. I'll just get rid of it. This, is a, a, this car's a pain. But if Sam and I are praying, and God's like, do this thing, and we get into the middle of it, and it all seems to be breaking, everything's falling apart, if God told us to do it, then we're like, we're going to see this through. God told us to do this thing. We're going to see it through to the end. Now, your life is not a car. It's worth so much more than that. The people's lives around you are not a car. Worth so much more than that. And if you just do what makes sense to you, you will get in the middle of a ministry. And when it all starts going wrong, you'll think, I don't even think I'm supposed to do this. I don't even know what's going on. And you'll quit at exactly the worst moment in time. There's a war against everything that God is doing. Everything God is doing. So you have to have the word of the Lord that you were supposed to be here because a war is going to come against it. It's going to look like it's not working. Jesus defines success as him on a cross. What carried him through that? Joy set before him. He knew it was the word of the Lord. So he could see it through to the end. And then he said, come follow me. So us just trying, scurrying, trying to get stuff going, what happens is we become terrible witnesses of Jesus because we just walk away when it's terrible. And it will be terrible if it's God because Satan doesn't want the kingdom to come. There's always a war. Life isn't only, but it's always a war if you're in Christ. So we have to be a people that are like, I'm not going to get myself into a battle. I won't even be sure I was supposed to be in it. 
I'm going to wait on the Lord. And then if the Lord takes me there, I can see it through to the end. I'll have confidence. And if I die, so be it. I was agreeing with God. But I don't want to get in the middle of the battle and be totally confused and have no idea if I was even supposed to be here in the first place because I wouldn't wait on the Lord. If you want that, stand with me. I mean, you don't want to be confused. If you want to be clear, the pressure of 2023 is going to move a bunch of people into the exact wrong place at the exact wrong time, so that when everything turns terrible, they quit. This is clear in the Bible. But if God said it, if God said it, then you know you're where you're supposed to be when everything starts breaking down, and you say, if God got me here, he's going to get me through it, right? If you want that, just raise our hands before him. Now, you don't have to be where God told you to be right now. But the next step should be with God. He finds all of us out of sync. He finds all of us in the flesh. He finds all of us in doubt, all of us confused. If you don't stop signing up, you will win. If you don't stop signing up to be spirit-led, you will win. Holy Spirit, in this room, confidence in the Word of God. Confidence in the Word of God. That's faith. Confidence in the Word of God. Doesn't matter what you did before. Forget all that. Forget what's behind you. Run this race. Are you where God wants you? If so, occupy. If you're not where God wants you, don't move until he tells you where to go. Holy Spirit, come. Pour out confidence. Confidence, God. It'll be better if you do it. It'll be more effective if you do it. God, we don't want to listen to your enemy. We don't want to listen to our flesh. Remind us why we're here, God. Did you call us here or did we find our way here? God, did we figure this out or did the spirit of prophecy do something? Confidence. Put our feet on the rock. Put our feet on the rock. He says, Peter... You're the rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because you saw something only the Spirit could show you. Yeah, the rock. Stand on the rock. The enemy, he's roaring. He wants you to move. But you don't have to move. Just wait for God. He'll move you if you need to move. 